this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm Anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. Cool, let's just do it one more time. Why? Because we love making movies! Hello everybody, this is Aaron Jalabolo and welcome to my podcast, Because We Love Making Movies. Today, I'm talking to Molly Asher, who is a producer of films like The Songs My Brothers Taught Me, The Rider, and most recently, Nomadland, which is a transcendent movie not about superheroes, but about a real woman, played by Frances McDormand, striving to find and keep herself true in this disconnected modern world. Now, all of Molly's films are miracles in that they're not only artful, but also successful. And what is a producer? It conjures images of a cigar-chomping man in the 20s talking fast into a phone, but at its essence, a producer is an enabler of creativity, the one who sees an idea when it's but a glint in a director's eye, or maybe it's a book or an article. They support that vision from its inception through its gestation to its birth. Molly is a superwoman who has made her name working with another, another extraordinary woman and artist, Chloe Zhao. And I'm not afraid to say I don't think it's any coincidence that so many wonderful producers have been women. From Dawn Steele and Sherry Lansing to Julia Phillips to Kathy Kennedy and Lucy Fisher to Emma Tillinger-Koskoff and Emma Thomas to Molly Asher. Molly makes movies with people she loves about stories she feels need to be told. She is the real deal, and it's an honor to share our talk. Enjoy. Because the uh, world is falling apart all around us, you know. I, I know. We do need to laugh a little bit. <laughs> I know that's true. That's very, very true. I've been, I've been, I've been watching old Preston Sturgis movies to try and really just remove myself from the time. <laughs> that's try, a good idea. To try and not, <laughs> not even be in this time, uh, and uh, so it's so nice to talk to you, and I'm so excited to talk to you. Congratulations, by the way, on on uh, Nomadland and all of the the. Thank the, you. The accolades. Uh, I unfortunately I have not seen it yet, but I've seen. Uh, a lot of your movies actually. And it's so funny because Ryan is actually even, I mean, he obviously introduced us, our friend Ryan Silbert, but I remember reading some article that was Chloe Zha just got the Eternals and I, and I, I remember I had never seen any of her films. And I said, Ryan, what do you know about this? He, because he, Ryan's sort of my geek counterpart mm-hmm. in New York. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, oh, you, you got to go see it. It's, it's a superhero origin story movie. He's like that. That's why. That's why. And you know. That's why she got that. And and I went and I watched the film which you you produced, and it was it was. I didn't. I mean, it wasn't really a comic book movie, but it is a myth, you know. And it is sort of like a mythic story, and it just it really blew me away. I mean, it's one of those films. Well, which uh, film was this? The writer. The writer. Oh, 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 yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. And it just it just really knocked me out because it's one of those movies particularly nowadays where people say oh movies like this don't get made anymore and and i think it's just more of a jaded <laughs> sensibility mm. of certain people that you speak to but not only did you guys make that movie and it's it, it was acclaimed and and now you guys are making nomadland so anyway i just it's so inspiring to meet a filmmaker who makes 
of mm-hmm. film, films like that because you know you it's a movie about people and yeah, and yeah. and it's also I also think it's pure cinema you know which is like it takes you all the way back to almost silent films in that it's just all imagery and emotion mm-hmm. which is which is really you know I think it's what a lot of us aspire to do um so anyway, all you know. Well, so thank um, you for saying that. <laughs> oh well, you're very welcome. It's just very inspiring, very inspiring. Uh, and so I'm, I'm just so curious. Did you always? Uh, uh, well, I guess we'll go back to the beginning. Where Where were you born? Where did you grow up? I am from Miami, Florida, which is where I grew up. I was there in the same house <laughs> um, until college. Oh wow! And uh, what did your What did your What did your Do your folks do? Um, they're both retired now, but my mother was um, a public school teacher. She taught special ed, and my dad worked in construction, um, like project management, oh, which I've awesome. always sort of thought that the combination of their jobs makes for a producer. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's very true. That's very true. That's sort of like the practical and the patience. and the <laughs> Exactly, exactly. And the problem solving. And, yep. and, did, and did you have siblings or... I have two older sisters. Um, no one is in the arts at all. Um, we all we all studied dance when we were little. I I also studied um, singing, uh, opera. Actually, I went to a, a performing arts high school, not just performing arts, but an arts high school in Miami called New World, and I was in their music department and studied classical opera. And so that's, that's, that's amazing. I mean, that's, that's really amazing. How did you even, how did you even know that that was something you wanted to do when you were a kid? How did you, how did you uh, get into that? Well, I always sang. It was just something that I naturally did and, you know, play the piano and sang. And um, I had a teacher in junior high, actually, Miss Brick, who recognized um, some talent there, I guess. And she gave me free voice lessons after school. And then um, and then she learned about this arts high school, which was relatively new and um and just encouraged me to apply to it and at that time I wasn't singing like opera I was you know belting doing like more musical theater kinds of things um yeah and then I I applied and I I got in and that's that's really where I started studying that kind of singing but I like doing all all sorts well I don't really sing anymore but right (laughs) until today Molly (laughs) but I'm just so curious so was it was it uh I mean, in terms of opera, did you study that the entire time you were there? You also studied dance uh, or? I also, um, not at the school, but I also studied dance. So my, my dream was always to be on Broadway, to, to sing and dance on Broadway. So then I went to undergrad NYU for musical theater, actually. Wow. And so why didn't you, why didn't you end up uh, pursuing that? Why? <laughs> well, you know, when I was little and I was studying dance and singing, I I never actually did a musical and then or really watched them. And then when I got to school, I realized that I didn't really like them <laughs> except for, I mean, I liked like sort of the dark things. Like I love Bob, Bob Fosse and, right, right. and I sort of was like, had like, I was a little, uh, I guess you could say emo as a kid, just sort of angsty, um, wrote a lot of poetry, you know, <laughs> it did not really the, the, the type that would be doing Oklahoma. Right. Um, <laughs> you were more Delia Dietz than you were uh, Judy Garland. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> I think it was actually Oklahoma, which was like, like really was the, that was the last draw. I just, I was doing that in a class and I was like, I just can't, I can't do this. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, 
that that is amazing. It's more like it's more like there's that story about when Scorsese made New York, New York. He said, you know, most musicals, it's you know, it's happiness and everyone's in, you know, it's in mind, everyone's fighting. There's alcoholics. <laughs> you know, it's like the dark, the dark musical. Uh, I need to see that then because oh, I've always yeah. kind of wanted to make like an anti-musical. This is the anti-musical for sure. I mean, it's the it's the musical where the song New York, New York comes from. Uh, oh, and it's. It's, it's, you know, it's sort of Liza playing the singer and uh, De Niro playing the band leader whose career is kind of sinking. Very mm-hmm. Star is Born, quite honestly, uh, but, but done in the way of a Technicolor musical that only, you know, because Scorsese had a fascination, obviously, with those old movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's wonderful. It's a really amazing movie. Um, I think you would oh, dig you'll it. definitely check it out. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so, how, so how did that lead you to filmmaking? Well, I, when I realized that I didn't like musical theater, I, I found that I really did love acting. Um, and um, despite it being focusing on musical theater, I actually had really wonderful theater teachers. And so I just moved to straight theater at NYU and I fell in love with Tennessee Williams and Chekhov and just, um, so I kept, I kept doing that and pursuing that. And I did that for a while. Um, but I would say that I was basically really just bleeding tables because I'd, I would make auditions and then never really, some just not show up or I'd feel, I would just always feel uncomfortable in auditions. I didn't like that feeling of having to constantly please between, you know, waiting tables where you're constantly pleasing and then going oh, into yeah. auditions where you're, and I didn't like the, the roles that, that were out there. Um, so, you know, I was just, I was, I was a little frustrated. And so me and some other frustrated um, theater people made a short film. And um, I found that I really loved putting putting it all together. And um, uh, a good friend of mine at the time was studying grad film at Columbia, and she suggested that I apply to film school. And um, and I I decided to do it, and didn't think that I would get in because I didn't have any experience. And I remember I didn't have anybody to to really write my recommendation letters. I, one of them was actually like a complete lie. <laughs> first, by the way, that's first rule of show business. So yes, you're, you're already ready for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, but, but you had to, you know, there was like creative um, writing that you had to, you had to turn in and then, yeah. And I, and I got in and it really, it changed my life going to, to NYU for film school that the people that I met there um, the kind of encouragement that I found there. Um, I, I went and I didn't go specifically as a producer. So I studied directing, cinematography, editing, you know, everything. And, um, which I think is, a, is, is great to have, um, an understanding of as a producer, but that's, that's really where I, I, I met the people then that I would continue to work with. Well, and I think that's really fascinating because, I mean, even though you said, oh, I had no experience, but here you are somebody who studied uh, as a singer, studied as a dancer, studied then as an actor. And so it's like, you really do have an intimate understanding of, of, of sort of one side of the camera or, or you know, or, or, or of, mm-hmm. of the craft of, of storytelling and filmmaking. And then you choose to sort of reapply or look at it or use those skills through a different lens. And so did you, did you find that um, helpful or, uh, did you still feel like you were, you were completely drowning when you went to film school in a good way, but. Um, well, I think, you know, there was, there was a discipline that I, that I learned from studying, um, music and dance, um, which then applied to how I worked in school. Cause it was a very, um, it was, there was a lot of, it was, there was a lot of work. Um, but I think, 
Yeah, I mean, definitely talking to actors. I, I already knew the language. Mm -hmm. um, I could speak the language. And um, it was interesting, though, when I was thinking, when I was studying, first starting to study directing, I had to really like shift in my head, like 3D, if that makes sense, mm -hmm. um, rather than just proscenium. Um, that was something that I, I had to like do storyboard because I really had to like, it, there was like, I had to have a shift in my brain. <laughs> and do you mean, do you mean literally like talking about almost the depth of a real frame as opposed to sort of the stage? Like yes. Yes. And then I found that like, I, I would often then, um, use a lot of, a lot of, uh, like steady camera handheld kind of things so that I could like move in and out with the actors. And I wow. think, that, I feel like that came from being an actor, studying theater. Well, yeah. And it's also interesting too, because it feels like from what you're saying that you were obviously theater and stage and dance have a very, at least in that context, a very specific, uh, frame or, or I guess, like you said, proscenium. And so cinema allows you to kind of throw that off and move wherever you want to move. That must've been very freeing. Yeah. Yeah. I really liked it. And I, and I, um, I think also from studying acting, um, it also gave me an understanding of, of, of a, pa a patience with, with, with actors and not necessarily needing a lot of dialogue, but really trusting them and their, and their faces to, and their, mm -hmm. th what they're thinking to really do a lot of the work. I wish more people would think thought like that. The, uh, and, and in terms of, uh, uh, when you were directing or studying directing, what did you, I mean, did you ultimately, ultimately, I mean, did you love it or did you, was it, what made you want to sort of not be a, or not be a director? Well, I, I loved it. And I, and I would, um, and I would, love to one day direct. I liked coming up with ideas, but I, the process of writing for me was very in, uh, it, I had to go to a very like quiet, lonely place. And I found that I couldn't then be the, the outward person that I needed to be as a producer. And, mm -hmm. and, um, I couldn't switch from one to the other. I know some mm -hmm. people can, and I just, I just really couldn't. So, um, and I think, you know, and so you know, I always intended for my thesis um, at NYU to to direct short, but um, but I just never ended up writing one. But um, and most people in school, well, everybody in school was really generating their own work, writing and directing. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. but um, but I one day, you know, maybe I'll find a script that I really really love, and I would love to to direct again. But I I. I, as a, as a producer though, I don't go into it though, as like a wannabe director, you know, mm -hmm. I go into it though, really respecting what is involved as a director. Mm -hmm. And I read somewhere in an interview with, with, uh, I think it was maybe, uh, independent IFP or something interviewing you, you said you did go to NYU with a bit of a purpose, uh, a purpose. And, and was that to, did you, did you have a sense of, wanting to really find great directors to work with or film, you know, how, to talk, talk a little bit about that. Yeah, for, for sure. I, I went in from day one, um, looking for my people, <laughs> for the people that I would, I would, I would work with. So it was just, it was not only, um, finding the work that people did that, that resonated with me, but also the types of people, the, the kind of you know, because you, you you're going to spend so many years working with a filmmaker that you mm -hmm. you got to be able to get along with them, and so it was also finding people that that I I had some sort of kinship with. 
And and oh, did you have a sense of the kinds of films that you wanted to make? I mean, were there films that 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 you still hold in your heart where you say, you know, this is this is the movie that made me want to, you know, want to be a producer or want to be a director or or really love cinema that you were trying to, you know, square with with some of your colleagues or students? Um no, I, I really, and this and this goes to the kinds of movies that I, I continue to choose to work on. It's really about the filmmaker and a unique, a unique voice and way of seeing the world, um, and actually like storyless. I uh, and you know they're all very different. The people that I've worked with, and they have very different film language, and and I find that exciting. Um, mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. it's it's all really. Uh, each per, each one is unique, and I and I, I didn't go in with a specific something that I was looking for, other than right. just that, like je ne sais quoi of somebody being, you know, special. Well, and that's that's really that's really I mean that's uh, that shows because it's it's your uh, quite a bit of the movies I've watched that that you've done, whether it be the, the movies you've done with Chloe or I watched Swallow last night. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, they are about they are about human connection or disconnection or you know they are about again they're about people so it's funny that you also take that approach even in movie making that it is about the people that you're making the film with i think that's really mm-hmm. beautiful uh and how, and did you meet and you did you meet chloe at uh at while you were in grad school yes we were in the same class and it was a pretty small class there were only 36 of us actually and what was it like when you guys uh first met were you fast friends or uh was it because of a project or we did get along right away. Um, we, I remember we both loved Wong Kar Wai and um, definitely connected on that level. But we also just, um, there was a bar nearby the school that everyone would go to afterwards. And, and that's really where we, where we connected. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So that's like sort of, a, I guess, a perfect segue into, you know, uh, uh, songs my brother taught me. How, how, how did that, film come about i mean how did how did you how did you and were you and, and how early were you involved in that in that film and and maybe tell if you for the last uh, the listeners tell us a little bit about what that movie is and what it's about okay so songs my brothers it's a plural brothers taught me is um it's set on the pine ridge reservation in south dakota and it's about um a young lakota uh, man who um I guess he's maybe like 2021 20, in the story. Um, and he has the opportunity to go out to LA and, and, uh, and then it's just, it's, it's a story really of him trying, uh, trying to figure out whether to go and pursue this or stay, stay at home with his, his little sister and his mother. And, um, that, that constant push and pull of, of leaving and staying is, is a, is a common thing. Um, I think that we all will grapple with, but specifically what we learn from a lot of people on, on that reservation. And I, I'm just, I, I'm curious because I guess the, because, you know, I think the one thing that struck me about about that film and the writer and is that they really feel like these, the, the sort of neorealist films, you know, from the past. And, and the one I can't get out of my head in connection to it is kind of The Bicycle Thieves. And I say that because that's a movie that everyone always says, oh, it's this documentary, right? It's this, it's, they just, they just grabbed that and captured it when really there was such there was so much craft and so yes. much planning and so much execution behind the scenes to make that happen. And I really feel like that's what you guys are doing. And, and even from a script level, because these also feel extremely well-written and crafted narratively, you know? So, so I guess talk a little bit about the, the whole process of how, how you guys go about making, uh, mm-hmm. making these films. I'm glad you asked that because a lot of people think that like, 
she, she just picks up the camera and these things happen in front of the camera, but there is a lot of planning and, um, and script writing. And I think, so Song for Brothers taught me was she, um, that was a script she had like 30 drafts of. She went through the, the Sundance Screenwriting Lab, the Director's Lab. Um, and I came on after she was through in those labs. And um, uh, she kind of brought together me and this other producer named Angela. Um, and we, you know, tried, tried to make that script. We tried to find the financing for that script. And um, finally did. Um, and then went out to the reservation I mean, this is skipping a whole part, though, of like of the process of going to a place that none of us were from and getting to know the community and the people there, um, building trust. But we um, so we went out to make that film and then learned that the financing actually was not going to come in, that it was there was a delay somehow with the financier in in money that they were um, supposed to be getting in from another film. And so we all, we had to send everybody home. We we were just about to have the AD come out. The production designer was already out there and uh, people had sublet their apartments, turned down other jobs. It was, it was awful. And so we all went back home and, um, and we, you know, had to make a decision like, should we continue to wait for this money to come in? And Chloe was like, you know what, I'm just going to, I want to just throw away the script and go out there with the, with the documentary size crew and let the land and the people help me tell the story. And so Angela and I were like, yeah, we are, we are, we are in this. <laughs> we were in this, we are in this, we'll forever be. So, so we went out there with, the, it was a crew of nine um, and you know, she kept the narrative that she had written and spent all that time doing, and she mm-hmm. would write scenes um, daily or every morning. Um, and we did have a schedule, and we did we did plan ahead. We actually like the, the the cast would live with us for the time being that they were that they were scheduled to shoot. And um, and I think from that experience, it it really it really was a part of of how Chloe developed her voice. Mm-hmm. Um, and the writer was a script. Um, but it, she, but but she, I think what she learned from songs was also was to give some some space there, some freedom to allow there to be discovery, and um, and within so, the framework of the script, within the- yes, and the story and the characters, um, and so so we tend to shoot for longer than I would say on Swallow. That was just a twenty day shoot, but. Um, you know, we'll shoot for like a, a week and a half so that we can have that space. And we and you just prioritize other things when it comes to the budget. But um, and she and also because of, of the way that her and Josh, the cinematographer, like to use the, the light. You know, we basically base our schedule off of when um, magic hour begins <laughs> and just go six hours before that is when we'll start. And then. Wow. Wow. And I guess the other thing to that point of, of sort of scheduling things and staging things, because one thing I notice very much with them, particularly in songs, it's when after the father dies and the storm comes in, right? And and the and it's raining. And and I, I see through all of her films, at least those two, sorry, those those the writer and, and songs, is that this the weather and almost day and night is organizing principle of emotions in the story. And now is that written or is that something you guys are just seizing upon because a storm is blowing in off the planes <laughs> i mean sometimes it'll it'll be written but um and, and she'll she'll know that there's you know we'll have to just to, to be 
flexible with that. It's mm -hmm. funny that you're bringing this up because I was just talking to my students about um, when you're making a schedule, being like having weather contingency and trying to schedule your exteriors at the beginning of the shoot so that you have that, you know. So, but but then I told them, but sometimes though, and I gave the example of songs, you know, like you just <laughs> you like you can you can you can hold on to it and use it you know like the scene with um with the young boy and the, and the girlfriend where it's raining and they're mm. like you know that um we i don't believe was written to be in the rain but it was it was and but we but we just went with it and wow. um and i think you know just used it and it, and then it worked emotionally too yeah. And, 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 you know, the other thing that I think that is coming across from what you're saying is that, because the other person I was struck, the other filmmaker I was always, I was struck with immediately when I saw uh, uh, songs and the writer was John Ford uh, in terms of the, you know, the poetry, but also the, the shorthand he evolved in his process of always shooting in Monument Valley. You know, he was so comfortable there and, and with everybody, including the, the, the natives and the indigenous people who live there and the locals and that becomes part of the the fabric in terms of how you guys evolved the or how he evolved the process of making those movies. And uh, is that something that that because I notice also you're using a lot of the same actors. And so is that mm -hmm. something you're thinking about in terms of that shorthand? Um, yeah, there's there's one actor in it, Derek Janice, who there's <laughs> he's he, his character. He's been in every single movie. So he was in Songs, he was in The Writer, and then he was in Nomadland. And his character, he always has the same name. Um, for some reason, is it a really his brother like, from? Uh, uh, is it the? Is it her brother? And he's the guitarist friend in the writer. He's uh, oh no, um, this is he. Um, in the writer, he was the one that sold uh, the the horse to um, okay. to Brady. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. And in songs, he was like the rival to John. That had, he was the one that had that was was upset that John was encroaching on his territory. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Oh yeah, wonderful. Yeah. So, uh, so he was like, you know, like doing illegal things in songs, and then the writer, you know, he's it's like he became, you know, like <laughs> then he owned a farm and he was doing doing good. And then in Nomadland, he plays a dad at a campground with all of his kids. So he's like grown as a as a. Well, yeah, but so that's so that's so because I just watched the TIFF interview with Chloe and Francis McDormand and uh, the and and what uh, Fr Francis McDormand was saying was this uh, this you know she felt like Nomadland was this sort of about the cycle of elders right the you know in terms of Chloe observing humanity etc and then you think about you know songs is very much about you know these children this younger brother and sister and the writer is kind of about this young man who's grappling with identity and all that and then Nomadland brings us sort of to the you know, a little bit of the end of the line, even though I, I haven't seen it. And I, I just, you know, that's, uh, uh, it's, again, it, it, I just think it points to how much thought you guys put into these uh, films and these stories. And they really are, uh, you know, amazingly crafted. And I guess, so to back up a second, though, in terms of like, uh, do you always try to keep the crew sort of as small as possible and as mobile as possible? I mean, talk a little bit about actual production and how you guys, yeah. you know, work mm -hmm. out in the elements. Yeah. Um, well, I also want to speak to the, the, the what you were saying about the, the using the same area. Um, mm -hmm. So that that helped. Like with the writer, then we I already we already knew everybody there. We already knew like who to reach out to if we suddenly needed five horses, you know. Um, um, but yes. Yeah, so 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 songs was nine, and then um, and then we had there were six of us. 
on um, the rider. It was Chloe, Josh, the DP. There was um, a gaffer who was also the key grip and first AC. There was a sound person who also boomed. Um, there was a second AC who was also the data wrangler and, and me. So yeah, there were six people. Um, and the reason for doing that though is so that we can be mobile. And you know, we had I think twenty three people on Nomadland, and we can so we can be mobile, so we can um, kind of like fade into the background um, mm-hmm. and, and not be too much of a presence. That was, that was something we especially were conscious of um, on Pine Ridge. And, um, and then with Nomadland, actually, all of our vehicles were, um, looked like they could be um, van-dwelling vehicles so, so that uh. they could shoot 360 and it would be okay. So let's let's back up and tell tell the audience uh, what Nomadland is about and and uh, sort of where where it came from uh, just to give it sure. context. So Nomadland is it's based on um, a nonfiction novel by Jessica Bruder um, that dives into this um, into this world of of, of modern day nomads. Basically, um, a lot of people who, for various reasons, some of them economic. Um, and and uh, particularly like there's a there's a focus on older um, people sort of baby boy age um, that decide to um, to you know to to just really pare down and they and and live in a vehicle and make it their home um, and then travel around the country to um, and working various seasonal jobs around the country mm-hmm. and um, it's you know. Okay, so yes, yeah, so that's that's what the book's about. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. And then and then we set it in in and then Chloe, um, well, she was approached by um, by Peter Spears and uh, Francis McDormand. They they found that book and they they really loved it. Wanted to wanted to get the rights they to adapt it. Um, and then they saw the writer, and so they reached out to Chloe and asked her to adapt it. And um, and then I came on with Chloe, and um, so the story then really became about um, a fictionalized character. So we have a lot of the real people from the story, from the book in the film, but Mm -hmm. then Chloe and Fran um, together sort of crafted this character of Fern. Um, And so she's, she's from a place called empire, which they talk about in the book. Um, It's Mm -hmm. empire Nevada where there was this gypsum factory that makes that they, that makes drywall Mm -hmm. and, um, and everybody in the town worked at the, at the factory. And so, after the financial crisis, when there was housing crisis too, and people didn't need drywall because they weren't building anything, the, the, right. the mine went bankrupt. And so everybody lost their jobs there and their homes. And so in our story, she's somebody who who um, experiences that. And her husband had died prior to that in the story. And so she decides to to put away, to, to leave her house, put whatever she has left um, in storage. And she builds out this cargo van into this amazing home on wheels and, and sets out to, um, uh, well, she sets out to, to find work, you know, and then I think what she ends up discovering is all of these people. And um, she really, she, she's, it, it helps her come to terms with the death of her husband and the death really of, 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 the dream that she that she mm-hmm. thought she had of, of the way that her life would be. Wow, I, I, and I think that that because uh, uh, I, I want to ask about the shooting of that. But what what I find really beautiful about all these movies too is that 
it's been very, very easy to hear the, you know, to, I don't know, read the log line or see the trailer for Nomadland or the writer or songs and say, oh my God, this is so depressing. And, and yet these movies are all extremely joyful and they really are about kind of, I don't know, the, the beauty of humanity and not, it's almost like what Linklater does a little bit, which is you, it's like, you think he's going to go one way with a story. It's going to be dramatic and terrible, but no, it's actually kind of celebrating humanity and life. And it just, I just think that's also really, really cool, you know, because it's not, uh, it's, it's, I think Frances McDormand said in that interview, she said we were, her and Chloe were working on this playful quality, this childlike quality of yes. the character. And I just think that's, that's a really wonderful, I don't know, uh, way to play against type, you know, cause it's like, these aren't depressed. These aren't supposed to be dirges of movies. They're supposed to celebrate humanity, which again is so, is so cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now just in terms of the practical shooting of it, because she works at an Amazon sorting plant, right? I mean, mm-hmm. how, was that was that complicated to pull off for Frances McDormand to go work in an Amazon? <laughs> you know, everybody asks that, but it was actually yeah. like one of the easiest locations to get. But um, Oh, really? Interesting. The, it was really, she, she um, wrote a, a letter to Jeff Blackburn, who's like, right under Jeff Bezos and asked him and he said, yes. (laughs) And then, and then it really came to, then it went to, to me to sort of take it from there. And, and, um, but the, but Amazon was really, really open with us. Um, and, uh, you know, there were certain areas of course, for proprietary reasons, we weren't allowed to shoot, but, um, but they really welcomed us and, um, and the, the employees were really excited to be a part of it as well. That's but yeah, that, that one was, that one wasn't as hard as say, like, um, finding a beet harvest. Yeah. I was going to ask you about the beet harvest because I remember reading in the, in the, in, in the book, Jessica Bruder talks about catching bowling balls of the beets as they're flying out of the sorter. How is So how did that, where was that? And how did that all come to be? Yeah, that was in Nebraska. And when I originally was looking for beet harvest, I went, I, I sought the one that's like a really big one. I can't even remember now where it is, maybe in North Dakota, um, where, where most people go and get their work. Um, and then, um, but, but they, they weren't open to us shooting there. And then I came across this, this, um, smaller beet harvest in Nebraska and, um, and the process actually of getting their permission wasn't so tough. You know, we just, I told them what the movie was about and then they were open to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we went there and we met with them and they, they could see that we were honest and <laughs> good people. Um, but the process of, and they, and they actually, they let us shoot there at the end of their day and they kept like one area um, of, of where the trucks would go open for us. They, they put a big, you know, um, they sort of set up, set it up for us, but it was awesome. but finding the, the truck drivers was tough because like getting people to want to work after work and do the work <laughs> that they did all during the day. So me and, um, and the line producer, co-producer on the project, Taylor Shung, we just one day or a couple days would go and just hang out at the end of the day when these trucks were leaving and we'd like wave them down and be like, Hey, do you want to be in a movie? <laughs> Um, and so what ended up happening is a lot of people said no, but then we found like one person from one of the particular, one particular farm who was like, this sounds fun. And then he was the linchpin. And then we started to get other people, which I find is often the case. Like when you're working with in, in places you don't, you're not familiar with and you don't know, Mm -hmm. you got to find that one person that everybody respects. And then, and then they get everybody else to come on board. 
Wow, that is so fascinating. And what about the rubber tramp rendezvous? Mm -hmm. uh, uh, explain what that is and how you guys actually recreated that. <laughs> yeah. So the rubber tramp rendezvous is, it's a yearly thing that happens where in um, Quartzsite, Arizona, where um, van dwelling people will go there and um, they'll all be in sort of like park and camp sort of in the same area. And, um, and then they share tips and tricks you know there's um you know how to do how to stealth parking you know what to do if somebody knocks on your window and tells you, you have to move how do you find areas in the in the country that are free to park wow. um and um which walmarts can you can you park at um uh, you know how do you use a five gallon bucket um to, <laughs> which i don't want to tell because it's a really fun moment in the movie you have to you'll have to I think does, it, does, does that also involve spicy chicken wings, or is that the the that story <laughs> that that I read in an interview with Chloe where she talked about what they had to do in a five gallon bucket? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, but so so what we did was we um, well we connected with Bob Wells who was um, who originated it, and Suanne Carlson, and um, and since we were you know attached to like. To, to the book, they 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 were trusting of us, mm -hmm. and so what, what our plan was: we wanted to to recreate RTR, the Rubber Tramp Rendezvous, from for 2012. Now, in, in well, at least in 2019, like 10,000 van dwellers will congregate. But wow. back at the beginning, it was more like what we have, which was like around 50. And wow. so um, we we did a lot of. Um, well, it was collecting all of the people to be in it took a, mm -hmm. took a, took a while and a lot of and because you're casting not only people but their vans and right, their homes right. too, and so um, that took that took a few months of collecting everybody, um, but everybody was really excited and really you know really enthusiastic about about getting the opportunity um, because a lot of people don't know about this this subset of you know right. this subculture really. And when you're casting those people in their cars, are you also obviously, um, you know, trying to find the vehicles that are correct to the time period as well? Are you trying? Yeah, I mean that that did come up a little bit, and um, and so the ones that might were a little bit newer, if you could tell that they were, mm -hmm, were mm -hmm. staged a little bit further out. Got it. The process of of once we of 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 actually setting it up was a beautiful, um, I wish that somebody had headshot the behind the scenes of it, um, coordination of our team. Um, we had like, because you're getting, you have these 50 big vehicles all coming to the one space. And so, and we also needed to like explain to everybody, like, you know, a SAG contract and like what these things were, what, the, what their expectations right. were. So we had like various stop points um, and we, and we timed when everybody would arrive and they were timed by where they were going to be placed uh, in the area. And wow. then um, Josh, the DP and, um, and the art director then um, placed all the vehicles, but we had to do it like, you know, over time, because, um, you know, like I said, like there's, there are big vehicles, but, um, that was, that was incredible to see the maneuvering of our team to do that safely. And, um, and then 
And then the, and then when we were there and everybody like set up their vans the way they would, it was just, it was incredible to see it all, all these homes. And then, then the van, little Vanguard there, <laughs> um, that's the name of, of, uh, Fern Francis's character's, uh, van. Van. Wow. That's so, wow. That is incredible. And how long did that take ultimately to, to sort of coordinate and pull off? I mean, for the, for when you actually were going to shoot that on film. I mean, it was a full day to to get everybody there. Um, okay. And then I don't remember. I think I think in total, maybe we shot there like four or five days, or okay. maybe less. Okay. Um, but there was a period of time where Chloe would, would went around to each each um, rig and got to know the people and ask them questions, and and, and that sort of what made her decide who was then going to be, there's a, a moment in the film where um, everybody, there's a group of people around a campfire and mm-hmm. they tell, tell a story about themselves. And it was from those little meetings that she had with people um, that she, that she chose who, who to be around that, around that fire. Yeah. There was and a so, lot of stuff there that we shot too. That's just not a part, not in the, in the film. Right. Right. But, but I'm sure a lot of that is sort of like you're saying, it's either, it's either creating that, that feeling of comfort for people to be, to feel that they are relaxed and, and safe in that world. And, and for also for you guys, I'm sure to discover, because I had two questions. So as far as casting, how, how involved are you in terms of casting, particularly something like this, where it's mostly non-actors, right? And, mm-hmm. and then, and then are you also involved in terms of, you know, post and, and mm-hmm. going through that footage? And, and so how, 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 do, what role do you play in that, in that part of the mm-hmm. process? Well, in Songs My Brothers Taught Me, we had an open call um, and saw over 700 people. <laughs> um, but we also did street casting, and um, and we had a street casting person. Um, but we also would go to events in the area, like uh, football games, and you know, and, and just meet people that way through, and then meet people through other people that we knew. Um, and so it was kind of. Um, with songs, though, I would say really that it was that it was Chloe and uh, Eleanor who were casting, and um, and then the writer just, of course, happened because it was literally him. Mm. And then with with Nomadland, um, we held I held some open calls in areas, um, putting people on tape, and um, and then we ended up actually hiring two people to do local casting because mm-hmm. we, we realized like, because it was so vast where we were going, like Nova- you know, different mm-hmm. States. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. um, and so, I mean, it's so, so like the, the local casting person that found the travelers, like the younger people in the film, she just went to the area where she knew those people would be hanging out and mm-hmm. she, and she got to know them. Um, and then they, they trusted her and they, you know, agreed to be in the film. So the question of like how much involved I am I, I mean, it, it all, like a lot of times locations are also where we get our cast. So it sure, just sure. actually happens that way. So, um, so, you know, I guess you could say like I was casting the beat harvest people because I yeah. was getting vehicles, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, so, that's, t- that's exactly what I, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you're definitely, you're, I mean, because it's such a different process, I think, than anyone would ever associate with making a feature film and narrative film, you know? So I think it's, it's, it's so interesting. And I guess uh, my other question would be, you know, do you love working with non-actors? I mean, is there something, uh, t- I talk, really t- do. talk about that. Really yeah, I really do. I, I love it. I, I, I just, because I, I love meeting people that I wouldn't necessarily have the opportunity to meet. And I love listening to stories. So, mm-hmm. and especially with Nomadland, when it's older people, I, I love 
older people and I right, love all right. the stories that they have to tell. So, um, and there's, and there's, there's a, there's a real genuineness of working with, with non-actors, um, and uh, an authenticity that's unmatched. And I, and I just, I really, I really love that experience of, um, working with someone who, who hasn't done it before. Right. Yeah. It's fantastic. Uh, and, and I guess, and just for, and to, 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 to talk about a, a, an, you know, a, not a non-actor, how cool was it to watch Frances McDormand, you know, do her thing? Because I really have to just say that I just think she's one of the kind of underrated, everyone talks about, you know, Daniel Day-Lewis and Joaquin Phoenix and all the, and they're wonderful. But she, when I remember watching her in Three Billboards and she's wearing that jumpsuit and there's a story that she apparently modeled her walk on like John Wayne. But then I remember... <laughs> I remember uh, in the if you go back and watch Blood Simple, she's literally wearing the denim jumpsuit because I think it was like the only thing she had. And Joel Cohen was like, "That's fine," and you know, and and then her and it just seems like she's evolving her character. It's almost like there's this connectivity. And then when I saw Nomadland, I'm like, it's she's she's continuing to kind of do this really interesting, I don't know, evolution of who she is, not just as an actor but a person. And so, how how cool was it to work with her? Just talk a little bit about that. Really, really amazing. I mean, she's also a producer on it too, so she really, <clears throat> her whole, her whole heart and everything was in it. But what was it was incredible to to watch her work because a lot of a lot of acting, I think, is listening, and mm-hmm. particularly in this film, and it's a really she gives a really giving performance. I think she um, she she's a very good listener, and so and so when she's listening to people tell these stories, it's 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 her it's her listening, and. Um, I think that it was, it was a lesson in acting. I think, uh, you know, acting being, listening being so important to it. That's so true. One thing that I thought is super cool. Um, I mean, you're, you've obviously now been involved with Chloe for these three films. And, and like you said, there's this very, very small crew. But one thing I find very interesting is that even f- starting from the, she, I mean, I think she, she shot all the movies with, uh, with JJ, with uh, Josh, uh, mm-hmm. Uh, and is it Josh Richards or? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, and, and then Chloe obviously is writing, directing and editing the film. He's shooting the film. And then I noticed on Nomadland, he's now production designing the film. And so, mm-hmm. I mean, it's almost like, it's like Chris Nolan and Emma Tom- Thomas in this very strange relationship where the, where the, the unit, the family unit of this film is so small. I mean, does it feel like a family? Like, is that one of the, I'd is say it, one of the, yeah. It certainly does. It certainly yeah. does. Talk a little bit about, you know, sort of, I guess. Maybe a the, dysfunctional family. But. Right. Well, I was just going to, just going to ask you like, how is, is it, is it, is, does that make it harder sometimes because you guys are so close? <laughs> I mean, <clears throat> we've like grown up, you know, we've like, I guess we, st- we shot songs in 2012 um, and I first met Chloe in 2007, but um, yeah, we've grown as as people and, and artists together. And I mean, I I think that I think that it doesn't. I think it makes it easier in some ways that because, like, you know, if like family, there might be there might be a fight or something. But just like with my family, once like they're the fight, but then the next day it's fine. <laughs> you just put it you put it aside and it's all okay we still love each other but their collaboration josh and, and chloe has also really grown and it's really it's it's very special to see them work together it, yeah and talk a little bit about that just in terms of how um i mean is is it is it i mean when she's writing i mean i guess i guess i mean how do 
how how do they work on set in terms of how you guys are are uh, shooting? Um, I mean, is there is, is there traditional coverage? I mean, is it uh, in terms of how how you guys are shooting the films? I mean, would you yeah, say- they yeah they do they definitely they write shot lists. Um, I, I don't know how much they did on songs, but definitely on the writer and definitely on Nomadland. Mm-hmm. Josh is involved like early, early on. So because part of the writing process on Nomadland was also location scouting and going mm-hmm. and seeing, seeing the places, meeting people. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so I went out with them to, to do that. And, and, you know, they're, of course he has a cinematographer's eye, but he's also a filmmaker too. And so he, and he really understands what Chloe is is looking for story wise, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Um, and so they find lo- they they find locations that are specific and um, and inspiring, and then when they're on set working together, um, he's he's amazing at finding finding the light, basically, you know, to work mm-hmm. in this natural lighting, and mm-hmm. um, and he also I think is a really is also a good listener. And, um, and so Chloe is, is working with the actors and, um, and blocking them or whatever, but, you know, he's also really having to listen to where they, like, where they might look because then he'll want, he'll need to look where they're looking, Mm -hmm. but also Mm -hmm. just on like a human level. I think you can see it in the, in the images that he's a a really amazing listener. And they both, they both are like, that's how she gets people to, to, to trust her. I think is she really listens. Absolutely. And it just feels so intuitive. Like, I mean, from all the things you've been saying, it feels like a completely intuitive uh, process, you know, I mean, apart from the craft and the planning, but I think it seems like when you guys are doing it, intuition really has to take over. That's very Um, true. Yes. As a very successful producer and a, and a, and a female producer, I talk a little bit about, um, because I do think, I do think we're kind of in a, in a reckoning moment in not just society, but also certainly in the film business. And I think what's very interesting is that, you know, you and Chloe making these films together, it's two obviously very dynamic women doing it and really getting the attention of, of the world. And I think it's, I guess, what challenges do you think we, you still see for, uh, for sort of underrepresented filmmakers and for, for also the kinds of movies that you make and, and how do you try to champion that and do your part? Well, I just automatically, I think, was attracted to filmmakers that, like, women filmmakers, and, and I don't know why, and also um, and also people of color, too. I'm not sure why, um, I, because I think it was more of just the, the way that they're, the way that they see the, they were them as filmmakers. But, um, mm-hmm. I mean, I... I think that there needs to be a lot more work done. I think where things are, are moving in the right direction, but there just needs to be more opportunity. Um, and, you know, as a producer, um, you know, you'll see all these like first look deals that, 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 that are, are come out and it's like very, not very often is it for women. And, um, and, and that's something that I think, you know, we need, producers need to be, um, and, and women producers and producers of color need to also be supported in the industry because they're the ones that are, that are making the opportunity. They're the ones that are, that are building the teams and that are, you know, sometimes bringing on the directors. It's not, um, you know, um, generated by the filmmaker. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think what's very interesting uh, that you're that you you know as you talk about making these films, I mean, it's very much you are very much on the ground producing these films, which I always find you know as a you know filmmaker myself, you talk to sort of executive types and and the distance between their understanding of what it takes to make a film and the needs of you know like you're saying actors, designers, non actors. All that stuff just is is just vast, you know. And it, it's so to me, it's like I just think someone like you really needs to be uh, celebrated and and given more opportunities because I Thank think, you. yeah, no, I, I mean it. I do mean it because I also think, you know, all all other things aside, it's it's the work is really wonderful, you know. So I think it's just uh, uh, it's just important um, and very inspiring. Uh, and and I guess. And so what are you work? I, I saw uh, that you're working on a film called To Catch a Fair One. It's called, Catch, in- it's called Catch the Fair One. Catch the and, Fair One. Yes. And it's um, the second feature for Joseph Kubota Vodica, who was also in um, a grad class with me and Chloe. <laughs> <laughs> and I produced it with a classmate from, from that from that class as well, Kim Parker. And um, that film is, um, it's a, it's a thriller, like a really, really like pulse pounding kind of thriller about a former boxer who um, kind of goes on the fight of, goes like embarks on the fight of her life when she goes to try and find her missing sister. Oh. And it, um, the, the, the fighter is actually a real fighter, um, a champion um, fighter named Kaylee Reese. And, um, and she's she's very the film speaks to the to miss to the missing and murdered indigenous women issues around that and wow. um, and all you know missing women and no one, no one really look, going to find them so in this story she takes it in her own hands to go and find her sister um, and uh, and she also as a person is is an activist um, in addition to being an amazing boxer um, so so yeah that that one um, we shot in. December of this last of last year Mm -hmm. and um and that was that was a combination of it was mainly actors uh, mainly professional actors so Kaylee was the was gives an amazing debut performance like real breakout but then there were also like the person who was her trainer um in the film is a non-actor and and she's uh, her friend who's also a boxer um but uh yeah, it wasn't. It's not. wasn't intentional that I continue to work with non-actors, even like without Chloe. But <laughs> right, 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 right. No, but that's so. And that's such. That's such a different. Um, a different kind of film, like you were saying. Uh, uh, I mean, that sounds almost like a like a like a modern noir, or like a almost like a you know Wind River type vibes. You know, so there, um, it's like it's like an action kind of like there there there's guns, there's blood. There's, I never and I never done that before too. And also. And how- it's, it's, it was like it was structured to like a like a normal film shoot, it's still with it with an on actor in the center of it. What was that like dealing now with stunts and and action and firearms and how was that different from from anything that you that you'd ever done before as a filmmaker? Um, I just learned a lot. You know, you find, <laughs> you find the the right coordinators. So we had a really great stunt coordinator on on catch and um, found a local weapon specialist and um, you know just safety is always of course like top priority um Mm -hmm. and obviously the director is looking for authenticity but um yeah it was it was it was a learning process and then also vfx like there's more vfx than i've ever used before because of um 
like blood, lots of blood when people are killed. And how did you how did you feel about that? Was there any practical blood used? Because I'm always there was. I, there was okay. So it was an augmentation a little bit of the yes. of the blood, like where they like the blood splatters were VFX, you know exactly. that kind of thing. Okay, right. okay, cool. Uh, and I guess you know just just as you've as you've sort of do you feel like you've as you've made more films, you have kind of an ideal scenario in terms of where now you sort of it's like you know what. Uh, how much prep time you'd like to have and you, you know, because I think, I think a lot of the things sometimes that I find with fellow filmmakers and just talking to people or people who is that there's a lack of understanding in terms of how much time you might need to do something correctly, you know? And like, I think, do you feel like now that you, you do have a sense of uh, uh, sort of your, your best practices for making a movie, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. How much time that you need to prep it. Um yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty consistent, like, how much it take, how much time for, like, the prep prep, you know, like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, you want to give yourself at least four weeks um, for a traditional kind of shoot. Um, mm-hmm. For Chloe's, I guess it varies, really, mm-hmm. how long um, to put it together, because, like, songs took years. Right, right. And do, but do you do you also feel um, it's I mean it seems like you're much more supportive of of a director than somebody who might say you only have this amount of time to shoot something. I mean, do you do you try to allow for flexibility during shooting? You know, as opposed to just saying no, no, you only have the. I mean, right, right. Um, well, it depends on on the on on songs. I mean, on, on Chloe's films, um, it's built in that there that there's like a lot of time. Right. That's okay. That's nice. Um, yeah. But then on the other shoots, I mean, you know, we're working with an AD and like, you know, right. like, of course right. you want to make sure that, that the director is, is getting what, what they need. But, um, but there still is like, you know, a ticking clock because uh, time is money. <laughs> right, 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 right. Of course, of course. <laughs> um, well, okay. I mean, well, I think, uh, yeah, I don't want to take any more of your time. This was, it was so nice to talk to you. Uh, it was great talking to you too. Yeah, this was really, it was really wonderful. Such a pleasure. Uh, And I cannot wait to see Nomadland. (laughs) Yes, yes. Step into the world of power loyalty and luck i'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse with family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, are you a super fan of Taylor Swift, Jelly Roll, or Morgan Wallen? Are you that song nerd who likes to dive into every little lyric of every little song and figure out what everything means? Do you want to take that a bit further, though? Because I have a podcast called Songwriter Soup, and it dives into the journey of a songwriter and how those people help craft the soundtrack of your life. I'm Laura Veltz. And I'm bringing all of my friends together to discuss our funny little job writing for all of your favorite artists. Listen to Songwriter Soup wherever you get your podcasts.